Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Fred. I love that Fred thinks that my prayers make everything go right. That's right. His grace is, yeah, not, doesn't have anything to do with my prayers. All to do with His grace. If you would, uh, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible of your own, please uh, please grab the one that's there in the chair. We'll be on page 858. We're working through this book so that we can meet Jesus. Now, maybe that seems like a novel concept, that we would actually meet Jesus. But that's really, whether you're churched or unchurched, we believe uh, that it's Jesus. When we see Jesus and behold Him as He is, that that's really what changes us. Right? So we're going through the Gospel of Luke in order to get to know Jesus. as a person of history, uh, a controversial figure, um, but also as a, as a Savior. Luke is a careful historian, and so we want to give him his credit as that uh, and read, uh, read Jesus, uh, see Jesus in the pages of Luke's Gospel. Uh, so we'll be starting in Luke chapter 3, verse 1. <clears throat> in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers. John had been studying the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. (laughs) You brood of vipers, you offspring of snakes. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water. 
But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been rebuked by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Let's ask God's help for understanding and applying His Word. Let's pray. God in heaven, You've given this Word to us, and You've given it to us for our benefit. Father, would You take its imperishable truth and would you bury it in our hearts that we may believe it and that we may be transformed by it that we would bear fruit even as John called the people of Israel to bear fruit Lord so that we would bear fruit at the hearing of your word we pray it in Jesus name amen be prepared who who can tell me uh, whose motto that is the boy scouts yep uh it's always a surprise for some reason to people that I was a Boy Scout. Um, I remember any of my knots, and I use ample fuel when starting a fire. But I was, uh, I was a Boy Scout. Uh, and one of the, the useful things about Boy Scouts uh, is, is learning to be prepared. Now, early on when you're a scout, that means you have a very heavy backpack because you think you really do need everything in there. That's not what it means to be prepared. Uh, but learning to be ready for anything that comes your way, how to be prepared, uh, you know, sp- spontaneously going on a trip or, or an adventure sounds good, right? That sounds romantic, like just picking up and going, let's just go. Let's just go and we'll see where we end up. That sounds great until you realize like no explorer or adventurer ever did that, right? Like Lewis and Clark didn't just say, hey, you know what? Let's just explore what's west of the Mississippi. Let's just go. Today, grab a bag, let's do it. Right? No, it took, it took months of preparations. It took building special boats and uh, recruiting the right people. They had to get ready to go. Uh, recently, we watched the documentary, The Dawn Wall. Uh, it's about a rock climber named Tommy Caldwell, uh, who free climbs uh, this 3,000-foot smooth granite face uh, of the mountain El Capitan in Yosemite. Uh, he and his partner, they didn't do... Not only did it take them several weeks uh, to climb it, but they also didn't do it overnight. The process of getting ready for that took years. Years of rappelling down, years of looking at the face of the rock, years of, of charting out what would be the best course, figuring out where they were going to make stops, where the legs of their trip were going to be. They had to get ready. How many times have you, uh, have you rushed out the door for the day or even for a trip and realized when you got where you're going that you weren't? Ready, right? That you'd left your shoes or your belt or something else important. Uh, and you think, I really wasn't ready to leave this morning. Well, when John shows up on the scene, his message for the people is get ready. 
In fact, that is his mission to get people ready for the Lord's arrival. That's what the angel told his dad in Luke chapter one, that your son, his calling will be to get people ready for the Lord's arrival. If uh, if the president of the United States, if you got word that he was going to come and visit your home, what would you do? What would you clean? Nothing. Uh, what would you What would you wear? Right. Uh, the uh, The tank top and the the uh, pajama pants are not going to cut it for this visit, right? Uh, if the I can almost guarantee you that you would not be nonchalant about it, right? You wouldn't be like, "Oh yeah, Donnie T. He's coming. Okay, cool. We'll see if we can make some time for him." No, right? You would get ready. You would be ready. And that's exactly what John is doing here. Uh, in the same way, when John emerges from the wilderness, he begins calling on people to get ready for the Lord's arrival. John is two things. He is a forerunner. Uh, right? A forerunner is somebody who runs before. Uh, right? They, they go in front of an important person to make sure that everything is ready for their arrival. Uh, so John is a forerunner. John is also a prophet. Uh, now, a prophet is not a fortune teller. Uh, a prophet does not predict the future, at least not in the Bible. The job of the prophet in the Bible is to be God's messenger. God speaks to them directly, and then they relay that message to their audience. And in that way, John is much like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the Old Testament prophets. And what you need to know, a really helpful way to think about the prophets in the Bible, is that they have basically two messages. Every prophet, uh, whether you're reading the really long ones like Isaiah or the really short ones like Nahum, every prophet has basically two messages. One is repent, and the other one is hope. Right? One of, one of the functions of the prophets is they were to tell people, look back on your life, and repent. And then the second message was, look forward and hope, right? Get ready for the salvation that God is bringing. And that's exactly what John does. That's exact. John, in fact, is the last. We call John the last of the Old Testament prophets. He is the bridge between the old and the new. Uh, he and Jesus have a lot in common. He is introducing us into a new age by introducing us to Jesus. So here's his main message, right? God's arrival calls for a radical reorientation of your life. In the same way that the president's arrival at your home would call for some radical action, right? So also, even more so, God's arrival on the scene, God's arrival to save calls for a radical reorientation of your life. John's message is one of repentance. And we're going to talk about that word a lot today, repentance. Look at verse 3. It says, John went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism, that is a washing, just a ceremonial washing. This is not the same baptism that Jesus will command later. This is unique to John, proclaiming a washing of repentance. John's message is one of repentance. So there's a couple things I want to do today. First, we need to define repentance. 
Second, I want you to see that repentance is motivated, comes out of uh, the Savior's arrival. And then third, that that repentance produces fruit. Real repentance shows itself uh, in, a, in a life of action. Right? Repentance is not just an inward change of the heart, but it actually flows outward. So if it doesn't make things too confusing, you could say it this way. We're going to talk about in point two what it is that produces repentance. And then in point three, what repentance produces. And it's important that we get the order of that correct. Repentance does not produce salvation. Right? We're going to see that God's salvation produces repentance. And then repentance produces uh Certain fruit, which we're going to talk about that John shows us. But first of all, let's define that word. That's a churchy word. It's a Bible word, so we need to define it. Uh, But if you're not accustomed to uh, the things of the Bible or the church, that's okay. We want to take a word like repentance and explain what it means. To repent, uh, repentance is a reversal. It's a turnaround, right? A change of thought or feeling. Uh, The Hebrew word means... To turn. And at least one scholar says it this way, that to repent is to reorient your life. Reorient your life from sin and self to God. That's what we talk about. When we talk about repentance, it is a full reorientation from sin to God. Uh, Before the days of GPS, if you got lost, what did you use to get found? A compass, a map, hopefully, right? Um, If you get lost, you use a map. Uh, But a map is only useful if you know where you are on the map. And if you have a compass, which way is north? Okay, so you have to orient yourself. To be oriented simply means to, to know where you are in relation to other things. So you have to know where you are uh, and you have to know your directions, right? Which way is north, south, east, and west? Which, by the way, your GPS has to do the same things, which is why sometimes it takes a little while to come up, right? It has to orient itself. That little device has to figure out where it is before it can provide you with good directions. And so, in the same way, repentance is reorienting yourself from sin to God, right? Figuring out where you are on the map. And here's why that's important. Here's the key for us to apply this. Repentance is more than I'm sorry. See, I think commonly we think of repentance as simply saying I'm sorry. But that's not repentance. Or at least repentance is more than that. It goes much deeper than that. Because you can be sorry. And you can be sorry for lots of reasons. You can be sorry that you hurt your family. You can be sorry that you got caught. You can be sorry that it didn't go the way you wanted it to go. But you can be sorry in all of those ways without having a life reoriented to God. So as long as we, uh, as long as we think of repentance as just simply feeling bad about something, we're gonna miss, uh, we're gonna miss the fact that we're not positioned on God. Repentance Repentance begins by looking at your life under the lens of God's Word with the help of God's Spirit and asking this question or these 
questions. Where are my thinking, where do my thinking and feeling and acting need to be reoriented around God rather than myself? Right? So if you're gonna, if you're gonna repent, right, like, God help me with repentance, it's not, okay God, would you just tell me all the things that I did wrong so that I can say that I'm sorry? Right? If your, if your repentance is, Lord, just forgive me for some sins I'm gonna do. That's a very surfacey, uh, repentance and probably not super genuine, right? Real repentance is changing your orientation. Right? Moving from one place to the other. Seeing yourself actually in the right place. And we need God's help to do that. It's more than looking for bad behavior and being apologetic. Right? Actually, it's this, right? Where, it's asking, where is God not defining the thoughts, intentions, and priorities of my life? That's the repentance question. Where is God not defining the reality of my life. That's what I need to repent of. In other words, where am I allowing something other than God to be God? Does that make sense? Where am I allowing something other than God to be God? That's where we repent. That's where we turn. That's really the heart of it. That's where the reversal needs to happen. And so repentance is a a radical reorientation of my life around God. But what is it that causes that to happen? What motivates that kind of genuine reversal? And I think think we can see that in verse 4 as we read the description of John's ministry. Luke actually cites, Luke, Matthew, and Mark all cite Isaiah chapter 40 to describe John the Baptist. Verse 4, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked shall become straight, the rough places shall become level, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Isaiah's using a word picture here, and probably the easiest way for us to understand this word picture is to drive north on I-65 and get to Alabaster. Right? Sit, sit right there in traffic, and you will understand exactly what Isaiah's talking about. He's talking about a highway. Right? Because what's happening? Uh, what's happening on 65 right now? Well, not much. Um... Easy, easy, right? The low places are being made high, right? All the ditches and gullies have to be filled in. All the hills have to be lowered, right? If you want to, if you want to make a road, it requires a little bit of sight work, right? It requires a little bit of preparation. You can't just drive a dump truck full of asphalt out there and dump it out and then get a rake and smooth it out. It doesn't work like that. Right? If you're going to make a smooth road free of obstructions, you must prepare the way first. That's the picture Isaiah uses. Now, here's the key to understanding why Isaiah uses it. The people he's talking to are in exile. Or actually, he's actually talking about a future exile that he hasn't even seen yet. He tells the people that a day is coming when they will send their way out of the promised land. That God will exile them because they refuse to listen to him. They will be taken captive and they will be in exile and they will feel without hope. And into that situation, Isaiah says, God is coming. 
get ready because the king is coming to get you. And he actually uses, he's using the language of the Exodus. Remember what happens in Exodus? God goes into Egypt and rescues his people out of their slavery. Isaiah is saying that's going to happen again. God's coming into your slavery and is going to rescue you out of it. So get ready. Make the path smooth. Make the highway level. There's also some uh, uh, some symbolism here, right? When he talks about the high being brought down and the low being exalted. This is going to be a common theme for Jesus and Luke, right? That those who think much of themselves, they will be humbled. They will be brought low. That if you think much of yourself, you will find yourself brought very low. And if you are humble, right, this is the position you want to be in, you will be brought up. Because it's the humble who understand their need. The proud think they need nothing and they will be brought low. The humble, they are the ones who understand their need. They will be brought up. That will, we'll see Jesus develop that more as we go through. So Isaiah is telling people of a new exodus. A day to come when God's people are enslaved. And then a Savior will come to get them and bring them back home. Isaiah, yes, he was pointing to when the people would come back from Babylon. But even more than that, he's pointing 700 years into the future to John. To John calling people, calling God's people to get ready for this new exodus, for this new rescue. And they are to do that through repentance. But what is it that motivates? Look at verse 6. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. The motivator for repentance is that salvation is coming. The deliverer is coming. The rescuer is coming. So get ready. The the motivation, right? uh, Something better than slavery is being offered. And it's on the way. To use C.S. Lewis, a holiday at the beach is being offered. But in order to enjoy it, you have to lay down the mud pie you're playing with in the alleyway. Come to the beach, John says. Look for salvation, John says. So repentance does not earn salvation. Salvation is on the way. And it's better than what you're currently worshipping. So John's invitation is, will you turn and embrace it? Or or will you remain stubbornly in slavery? That's the call. And we're going to see that sharpen as he talks about Jesus at the end of the passage. So repentance is motivated by the Savior's arrival. But that repentance also produces fruit. Look at verse 7. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, offspring of serpents. I think John is deliberately using the language of Genesis 3, where God talks about the offspring of the serpent doing battle with the offspring of the woman, right? The the people who follow the deceiver. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. John uses a word right there when he says bear. John uses a word right there that will come up Several times as we go through this passage, it becomes something of a theme word for the remaining verses. It's the word do or make. 
do fruit, right? Which is why it says bear fruit, because we can't do fruit. But do or make fruit. What's he telling people to do? He's telling them that, listen, don't come out here to be baptized and expect that me throwing a little bit of water on you is going to save you. Okay? This is not some empty religious ceremony. If you want to be rescued from the coming wrath, then you need, I need to see you demonstrate that you actually are repentance. You need to be a tree that bears good fruit. Right? No farmer cuts down a tree that is health, that, that's bearing healthy fruit on a regular basis. Right? The trees that get cut down are the ones that are diseased, that don't bear fruit. There's something wrong with them. So John is saying this is not some empty religious ceremony. Uh, and he says to them, now this is particularly applied to them because these were uh, Israelites, Jewish people. John says, don't expect for your heritage to save you. Your ethnicity will not rescue you from the coming wrath. Just because you say that you're Abraham's sons, doesn't matter. God can make sons for Abraham out of stones. So your heritage will not rescue you from the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. When your children tell you they're sorry, uh, so uh, we'll see how effective this ends up being in the long run, but usually when uh, one of our children does something wrong, there's a script we kind of walk them through, right, where they have to apologize for hitting their brother in the face with a truck and they have to ask for forgiveness, right? So... Um, what we're trying to do is teach them the language of repentance in hopes that the heart will one day be genuinely sorry, right? Genuinely repentant. But you know when they're not sorry, right? I'm sorry that I hit you in the face with the truck. Please forgive me, right? They're saying they're repentant. But like their words say they're repentant, but their actions say, if mom wasn't standing right here, I'd have hit you in the face with the truck again. <laughs> right? John is saying, don't be these people who say they're repentant, but don't live like it. Bear fruit. Live lives that are consistent with repentance. Your life should reflect your language. So what does that look like? John made it, uh, this, Luke makes it really easy here. Uh, actually, the crowds make it really easy because they come up to John and say, okay, what are we supposed to do? So John says, make fruit. And basically what the crowd say, they use the same word, verse 10, what then shall we do? Or what then shall we make? You said, you said do fruit. Tell me what to do. And he says, all right. If you have extra clothes and you see somebody who doesn't have some, share it with them. If you have extra food and you see somebody who doesn't have it, share it. And then the, the tax collectors come up. These tax collectors. Now, a tax collector was a despised uh, class of people, right? Uh, I mean, you think about how much you love the IRS. Okay, in Jesus' day, tax collectors uh, were seen as traitors because they worked for the Roman government. Uh, they were seen as thieves because uh, you collected this many taxes and then the tax collectors usually uh, took another fee on top of that, right? So they piled a little bit more on top. 
Uh, and some of them were very good at doing that, and they made themselves very wealthy at the expense of other people. And so tax collectors were not well liked in Jesus' day, which is why, as we go through Luke, you'll see them lumped in with sinners, right? Uh, murderers, adulterers, tax collectors, okay? They're in that same group of people. So they come to Jesus and say, what about us? What should we do? What kind of fruit should we make? And what does John say? Don't take any more than what you're supposed to. Don't extort people, right? Don't take advantage of people because of your position. And then the soldiers come forward and they ask the same thing. What about us? What are we supposed to make? What kind of fruit are we supposed to make? And he says, again, don't use your position to take advantage of others. Uh, the verbs he uses there in verse 14, do not extort money from anyone by threats. Uh, the verb here is uh, it's to shake. It's where we get our, our, our saying to shake someone down. You can imagine that would be very easy for a soldier to do, to use their position, their strength, their weapons, to basically take advantage of people and say, give me your money now. Uh, they could falsely accuse people and bring them into court and receive the reward. John says, look, for you, don't take advantage of people. Be content with what you have and don't use your authority to take advantage of others. So there's a key concern here in all, in all of these things, right? What did you expect when, when the, when the crowds come and they say, okay, well, John says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. What do you expect them to say? Right? What, what is a fruit of repentance? John doesn't say, go to the synagogue more. They probably were going to the synagogue a lot. He doesn't say, you need to memorize more of the Torah. Though we would agree that memorizing Scripture is a good thing. What is the application John gives? Real life, the way that you relate to other people. A genuine concern for others. John is saying that a right relationship with God vertically will show itself in a concern for other people, not yourself. Selfless concern for others. Share what you have. Be generous. Don't take advantage of other people. And be content with what God has given you. Those are all fruits in keeping with repentance. What does genuine repentance look like? Looking out for the interests of others and not for yourself. Which is something, by the way, that the New Testament says over and over and over again. So all this talk makes the people wonder, is John the Messiah? John, are you the Messiah? And he tells them very clearly in verse 16, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. John says, no, you need to be on the lookout for someone much more powerful than me. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Uh, untying, uh, un the untying of the sandals was a job reserved for the lowest of the slaves. It was a dirty, kind of nasty job. And in fact, in Jewish culture, a Jew was not even allowed to do that for another Jew. Uh, like that was, that was a position beneath uh, even a Jewish servant. Right? But John says, this coming one, this mighty one, is so much, is so much higher above me, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. I don't even get to touch his feet. That's how much better he is. So no, I'm not the Messiah. He's coming. 
He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. Here's John using that prophet's message of hope, uh, of, of hope and judgment, right? That the, the coming day of salvation is salvation and it's judgment. Salvation for those who will receive the Messiah and judgment for those who won't. Jesus will baptize those who trust him with the Holy Spirit and their lives will be renewed. But for those who do not, fire. See, Jesus forces a decision. John even pictures him as the judge. He says his winnowing fork is in his hand. In those days, if you wanted to, uh, when, as you were harvesting your grain, you would take this pitchfork-like device and you would shove it into the pile and you would throw the grain up into the air. And as you did that, either the wind or a fan would blow the chaff, the dust that you didn't want would blow it away. And all the heavier grain would settle back down to the floor. And that would be brought inside to be used and then the chaff would be discarded and burned. John says, when the Messiah comes, you have a choice. Will you believe and be gathered into the barn? Will you escape the wrath that is to come and embrace salvation? Or will you face God's judgment of unquenchable fire? Another Old Testament image. The day of salvation is also a day of judgment where men and women and boys and girls are forced to ask, what do you do with Jesus? What do you do with this Messiah? How can we escape the wrath to come? Here's what, John, here's what Paul says in Romans 5. God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means He dies for the brood of vipers. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath to come? Jesus is the way out, and Jesus is coming. Are you ready? Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would heed the call to repentance seriously. That we would, uh, by, your, by your word, Lord God, you would show us these areas of our lives where we need to reorient ourselves. Where we need, where our position needs to be changed. I pray that you would help us to evaluate our lives under the lens of your word with the help of your spirit so that we may repent. So that we may be ready. Ready for your arrival, Lord Jesus. For the moment, for the day of salvation and the day of judgment are coming. And only those who are found in you will be saved. I pray that we would trust you and be saved. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me invite our elders to come forward and get the table ready.